sometimes, you know, the, the best part of performances uh, come out of mistakes and out of risks and out of, you know, can come out of suggestions from the people around you. It's just always good to be really open to trusting that, you know, there, there are times to fail and times to risk looking stupid in order to really end up with a performance that's, that's um, as good as you can be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of an Actress podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Patterson, and thank you so much for being a listener, for being a subscriber, for coming to my podcast and listening and being um, active in it. I really appreciate it. I know that uh, I always talk about how I started this podcast about a year ago, and it, it was not my focus, and now it is, and now I'm just really grateful that I have it. I'm really grateful to be able to connect with you guys virtually, to connect with my friends and my colleagues in the entertainment industry virtually. And I'm going to be releasing a lot of new interviews here on this podcast coming up. Um, I normally do a Friday episode just once a week, but I'm now doing twice a week. I'm releasing this one on a Monday. So uh, welcome. And I have an incredible guest today, a Tony-nominated actor of Broadway and television and just a, you know he's been in the business a long time and I have to tell you I love talking to people who have been in the business for a long time and they have such a light about them and Alan Campbell who is my guest has that light about him you know he he still just has such optimism and buoyancy and you know I, I met him 20 years ago we talk about it on the episode how we met uh, on the final Rosie O'Donnell show, if you guys remember that show, we were guests um, because we were starring on Broadway at the time. So Rosie invited us to be a part of her final show. And we just struck up a conversation. And, and you know, he's just a good person. And one of the things I love about this business is the community. I really do. Um, Alan and I probably haven't spoken in 10 years but the moment I asked him to be on this podcast, he just, you know, popped on the email and said, you know, yeah, of course, I will. I, I would love to. So, it, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know. I love that about our business. I just love that about our connection and, you know, from theater to television to film and all the, the, the little jobs I've done or, you know, a television show that I did with Alan 20 years ago, he remembers me and wants to connect so it's just it's it's awesome and I feel like in this time more than ever we need that connection am I right are you guys feeling that I know I do and whether it's virtual or not um which it's all virtual now you know I feel like we need to we really do need to connect and However we can get that. I hope you guys feel a connection when you're listening to this podcast. I hope you feel like you're dropping in on a conversation between me and a colleague and you feel a sense of, um, you know, community because that's what we need. And I think when we come out of this, you guys, we're going to, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to find the positive, but I think when we come out of this, it's going to be even sweeter to get that first hug you know, from a friend and to be, to be in uh, an audience together. But we have to be safe about it. We have to be smart about it. We have to think of others. And we should be thinking that way anyway, right? Isn't that like, you know, do unto others kind of feeling? Like we should really not be all out for ourselves at this time. And, you know, that's just my thought. That's my confession. Um. I want you guys to sit back and really enjoy this interview with Alan Campbell. He is just somebody who I, I wish so much success for. I wish so much prosperity um, and love and friendship. And I just, I really do. He's one of the good ones. I really do adore him. So without further ado, please sit back, enjoy this incredible interview with my friend, Broadway talent and television talent and and hilarious man, Mr. Alan Campbell. That's so cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's the, the, the good side effect of all of this is kind of 
people like reinventing how you know how we communicate and or you know just making it making it fun if you will yeah but there's um, always going to be there's always going to be innovation i mean that's that the good that will come out of this will be a lot of innovation yeah exactly the way we communicate exactly well i am i am just so uh thankful that you are available. I've been, um, you've been on my list of people when I was brainstorming who I wanted to talk to, uh, (laughs) in this world. Um, and you know, I, I'm just so glad, uh, you know, everybody's kind of available now, but (laughs) ain't that the truth, truth. (laughs) but, um, but no, you, you said in your email that, um, the last time I saw you was definitely on your it, at your apartment on Riverside, right around the corner right. from from ABC, where I was doing yeah. uh, all my children, which I know you were on as well. But yeah, we were, yeah, a couple times, a few different times. But we were were we on at the same time? I I don't I maybe we our paths crossed. I don't remember you being in any of the work that I did. I no, I definitely not. was not. But, it, but I I I think. I must have run into you on 66th Street, and then I yeah. said, well, I live around the corner, and and please come up if you're on a break, if you have a lunch hour or something. I think that's kind of how the gestation of how you ended up coming up and, and visiting for a while. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. totally that. I was actually, because uh, I was on um, All My Kids, as <laughs> yeah. I fondly call it, um, for about a year. So yeah, I definitely... Yeah. Um, Definitely went up there and I met, uh, I met Riley, your daughter. And right, I right. think at the time she was, she was a lot younger because this was like yeah. 10, 10, years ago. Yeah, um, she was, yeah, she was probably five. I mean, we, we all as a, <clears throat> excuse me, as a family, we moved here in 2012. So she would have been, she would have been about seven years old when we moved. Yeah. So she had to be five or six. Yeah. Oh my God. And now I have a new, a new five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So oh my God. <laughs> wow. that's, a, that's a lot of work. The tides have changed. That. Yeah. I remember those years. I know. <laughs> and I got, I got two boys, so they're, they're rambunctious. They're crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is awesome. And, and uh, so I'm, <laughs> we've never, I, this is what I was trying to figure out. I was like, I don't know, maybe we did a town hall. Cause you know, those town hall, um, Broadway uh-huh. by the years would kind of like, yeah. uh, Scott Siegel would bring together all different right. kinds of people. And we would always, and it was such a whirl when I never, honestly, there's some, sometimes when I'm like, Oh my God, I actually don't remember doing that Broadway by the year, <laughs> but I don't think you and I have ever done any work together. Um, aside from when I met you, which was, Rehearsal for the final Rosie show. That's right. <laughs> which 2000, was, 2002, 2001, 2001 or 2002, which I don't remember. But um, I just remember being, it was like me and you and like Chad Kimball and a few other people, mm-hmm. I'm sure were on our side of the quote unquote stage. And we were <laughs> just never paying attention, just being yeah. good, total goofballs. And I, and, and I remember having to fly out of there to make my matinee at Lincoln Center yeah. And I got there and there was a sound person waiting on me and he said, you ran off with, uh, um, with, uh, the, the NBC's uh, radio mic <laughs> and I, and I had to fly out of there so fast that I just, I, I, I didn't give my mic back. The guy was waiting on me. Our, our Lincoln Center sound guy said, Hmm, NBC called. They want their mic back. So. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, it was, it was such an interesting, uh, that time being on Broadway and now contact, which was the show you were in at the time, yeah. um, just celebrated 20 years, right? God, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to, you know, it's funny. I just, shared it with my daughter um, about three weeks ago. Oh, really? I had had a copy of the live from Lincoln Center, which had aired a couple of times, but you can't get it commercially because of the union deal and everything else. Yeah. But it was, you know, 13 cameras. It was the final, the final show of the entire run of contact. And, and they did a really nice job of, of uh, filming it and broadcast it on the, the live from Lincoln Center series. And I had a copy of it that someone had made for me um, and I had misplaced it over the years. And my daughter, who who was very young and couldn't really understand the whole you know, trajectory of the show. And it was kind of a little sexy and at times a little kind of uh, 
um, probably a little uh, rough for somebody her age now is 24-7 dancer. I, mean, I know. Yeah. Such, uh, so obsessed with dance. And so I said, okay, well, now that she's just turned 16, I said, now I think you're ready to see uh, Contact. Would you be interested in seeing it? Because I'd love to revisit it. And of course, I didn't have it. So a friend of mine um, uh, who was in the show and another, uh, another friend of mine who had it on a hard drive sent it to me and I was finally able to sit and watch it with my daughter, which was really fun. Oh my gosh. She yeah. must have been just eating it up because, yeah, to, you know, to just appreciate the, the, the work by those spectacular uh, dancers. You know, oh my God. Deborah Yates and, um, yeah. and Holly Cruikshank and a few other, uh, uh, of the dancers, Charlotte, Charlotte Dambois, Charlotte Dambois, and, and, yeah. Pascal Fay. I used yeah. to take class um, with all of them, Colleen Dunn. Yeah, I yeah. used to take class with all of them over at Broadway dance and, just like, you know, they, to me, are just these, these incredible Amazon, beautiful, long-legged dancers yeah. who I just would be yeah. in awe of when I, when I first moved to New York yeah. and, and that show was just phenomenal. But, um, yeah, that, that, uh, <laughs> it's that, that final Rosie show, which we performed on together. I actually have a clip of the, um, uh, I, I guess a, a picture of us or a picture of Rosie and I happened to be behind her uh, ended up on the daily news um, for that. And I, I, I actually was trying to find it cause I wanted to see if I could see you in it. And I'll be like, you know, the picture of us and the one time we worked together, but um, yeah, it was just that, that time, which I cannot believe has been 20 years uh, was, you know, 2001, 2002 um, was just such a wonderful time on Broadway. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say one more thing that, um, I've actually never told you, which, uh, is going to, is going to aid you and me. Um, but your Broadway debut of Sunset Boulevard, um, which is in incredible, first of all, to even that, have that be your Broadway debut and, and to play Joe Gillis and get nominated for a Tony and all, and be with Glenn Close and that amazingness of that show, which I want you to talk about a little bit, but I had moved to New York uh, like a year before that, and I worked at the little gift shop next to <laughs> next to Sunset Boulevard. And I used to hand out flyers in front of the show in like a you know it was it was in the winter time. I only worked there for like a few months, but I remember trying to sneak into the lobby to listen to you guys perform and sneak my head in and try to like. <laughs> like listen to you guys. Uh, and, and it's so funny because later on years later, when I actually met you, I was like so nervous to tell you that story. Cause I, you know, cause I, I was, now I was one of the Broadway community, but at the time I was like the flyer girl outside of, outside <laughs> of Sunset Boulevard. But it was such a full circle moment for me when I, when I met you at uh, the Rosie taping and all of that stuff. So I just wanted to, that's my little confession for the what a great, what a great story. <laughs> Meredith Patterson Brady, flyer girl. Who knew? Flyer girl God, outside of Sunset Boulevard. You, I love stories like that because they are just character builders. It just lets me love our, our industry so much. Because yeah. So many people have started in, I mean, so many different ways. Uh, you know, the trajectory of my life and career is about as ugly as any I have ever heard. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I used to sit and just kind of smile as my friends talked about, you know, going to a, a conservatory and, you know, getting an MFA and, and then coming to New York and everything. And boy, was that not me. So <laughs> I, just, well, what? I always used to say, oh my gosh, wow, you always knew what you wanted to do and just a straight <laughs> shot and, you know, we're intentional and all that kind of stuff. And boy, I just think, mm, I just, you know, that was not you. And very <laughs> I mean, I'm so fortunate. I mean, I'm so grateful for the opportunities and just, you know, pure unadulterated pieces of luck that I had, but, but, um, I just, you know, I'm amazed at all the different paths. And I just think that's the great thing about the arts. And that's why when, you know, when you go and you talk to a master class or you talk to a bunch of students, which I, I do every now and again, 
uh, people say, well, what, what is the path? And I, I just say, man, you are asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, that they're asking the, the, the perfect person because we all have such different paths. And like, it, yeah. sometimes it does seem like a straight shot, you know, for some people, like yeah. they, they do the, the quote unquote thing you're supposed to do, where you go to a conservatory and get a BFA and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But then you have some people who, you know, just uh, fall into it. I mean, you have such a talent. I, I would think, um, and I and I want you to speak to this, but I would think you would you would have always known that this is what you wanted to do because of just how good you are at it. So, oh. I mean, I don't well, know. I I kept trying to get out of it very early on, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, you know, I went to school. I was pre med at at Tulane. Um, for a while, oh really? Um, thought I wanted to be a doctor, and you know, Tulane had a decent theater department, but they had a wonderful music program and a performing group. And I just, for some reason, I I just kept, you know, I I don't even know how they found out, or I sang at something, or you know, I. I went for an audition. I said, well, this is an extracurricular group. I'm not studying it. So maybe I'll just go and sing. And then I got it. And then somebody else said, hey, come be in Godspell, you know, and and I wasn't studying it. I, I ended up being in economics because because I was, um, you know, not not uh, what is it left brain enough to be a doc. But um, <laughs> that's amazing. So I, but you had sang before that, right? It wasn't just like in college. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I I made money. Uh, you know, in high school, I had a I had a, a top forty band, like a cover band, and we oh, played nice. like you know the Ramada in Timbers Lounge <laughs> in Homestead. You know, and I was so young. I, I they made me go outside in the lobby when I wasn't. Um, on doing sets because I was too young to be in a bar. You know what? So, we have that um, in common. I sang in a rhythm and blues band when I was 15. Yeah. And, and, you know, we didn't, we didn't really play, well, we did play bars, but I don't remember any of the alcohol. Just, I was too, uh, <laughs> I was too focused on the singing, but, um, but that, you know, that, that's amazing. Cause I didn't, I, I didn't know that about you, but if, yeah. did you, did you have voice lessons before that or any kind of no. theater? Nothing. No, no. I mean, when I was in high school, I was very, very, uh, lucky. In fact, I just found this gentleman again about three months ago. He was hospitalized close to me and living with his daughter. He he was a high school chorus teacher of mine. And um, I, I chose an elective because I had I was singing around town and I said, man, I think I'd like to sing in a chorus. And so I um, uh, uh, chose a chorus as a, you know, an, an elective in high school. I guess it was my junior year or sophomore year. And um he recognized something. And so he kind of took me under his wing and, you know, taught me all kinds of things like Alucha Vanastella and like all kinds of art songs that were not anywhere near like the stuff that I was doing at the Ramada in Timbers Lounge. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and that was about as close to any kind of formal training that I had had until much later. I never really studied voice. I could just kind of sing and, and, and so um, all until really I was um, an adult studying acting uh, in Los Angeles, maybe the year or so before the Sunset Boulevard uh, thing happened, did I actually start studying voice. In fact, that's how I found out the, about the audition for Sunset was through a guy that I was studying voice with, who was also working with some other uh, young, um, you know, young men in Los Angeles who uh, were preparing to audition for Sunset. And he said, I think you'd be good for this. I think you have a, a good voice and suitable for this. You're a good type. You ought to, you ought to audition for this. Oh, my God. And the role of a lifetime. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, those kinds of things, you know, you, you can't really prepare for. You just kind of say, what do I have to lose? I might as well just swing for the fences. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the guys, the guys that I was competing against were just literally the cream of, you know, know. LA musical theater and Davis Gaines and, you know, Patrick Cassidy and all these people that were, you know, um, even Donny Osmond's name was mentioned. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, 
How did that feel to get that? I mean, I know that you had done some high level stuff before that in, in TV and, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're in LA and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, but like, how did that feel to get such a, such a big role in the new Broadway show and, you know, all of that, like, how did that feel to get that over, over all of those cream of the crop? Cause I, you know, that feeling is just, um, yeah, you're always just in, a, well, for me, I'm always in a grateful know, place. <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of, well, I, it was terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think that that's the first thing that I thought. I remember. I mean, it, it was over months because they'd go to England and they'd go to New York and they'd yeah. go to LA and then they even went to Australia, which is uh, you know Hugh Jackman ended up doing the Australian production a couple of years later. Oh but, right, but, yeah. Um, they they went all around to try to find this LA premiere person. Of course, we didn't move to Broadway until a year after the LA premiere. Yeah, and so I was in LA and. I remember I went over to what is now the, I guess, the uh, the mall there, the Century City Mall, uh, because I had auditioned at the bottom of the Schubert Theater, uh, which was now been torn down, but at the time, uh, a big theater in Century City. Okay. And that was a final final audition. I'd seen George Hearn, and and, and I just was hungry, and so I went um, – I went over to the Century City Mall just to get a bite to eat at the food court. And I remember I was sitting there and my phone rang. Uh, and this was only 45 minutes after my audition or so. Oh, wow. And, and uh, my my agent at the time said, well, you got it. They're going to give you an offer. And I remember I just didn't whoop. I just sat there kind of numb. And then I, I went home that weekend. I called a couple of people, maybe my parents, but I... I I, I went home and I rebuilt the two toilets in my house because, I, you know, I don't know, you're, you're, you're married. I don't know about your husband, but, you know, sometimes men, when they, when they you know, go inside and they need to kind of cave and figure yes. things out, we do like, like very, you know, mundane stuff around the house just to kind of like cave. And I really said, okay, I have to really like get inside myself and really like talk myself into saying, you can do this. You got this. They wanted you, you, uh, you know, uh, but I was, you know, I'd been on TV and, you know, walking into a first rehearsal with Judy Kuhn, George Hearn and Glenn Close, when you've been kind of a TV actor, it had always been my dream to do a Broadway musical because I was a singer and I was an actor and I'd had some success on TV, but this was a whole different thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I was kind of so intimidated a little bit that I didn't say a word for the first couple of weeks, which is not, as you can hear by all my blah, blah, (laughs) is kind of uncharacteristic uh, to me. But it was funny when it was all said and done. I remember people saying, oh, my gosh, I thought you were the most enigmatic guy sitting there just never saying anything and listening to Trevor Nunn. And I said, no, I was just scared. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to absorb everything for fear that even though, you know, I had good instincts and I knew I just said, just watch. Yeah. Because you have not been in this world. Uh-huh. You have been in television and I was, a, you know, the third guy on a successful television series for five years. So, yeah. you know, I, I had my wits about me uh, knowing what I could do. But I think they didn't give me the score until after I got the part, literally the first day of rehearsal. And I remember taking the score back. I had a, um, a really neat kind of little house in the Hollywood Hills, taking the score back and sitting in bed. And I kind of knew the movie, but realizing how much singing and stage time was involved. I mean, yeah. it was like wall to wall. <laughs> and I just, again, then I got terrified all over again. So it was a process of just, you know, just getting up every day saying, you know, do your best and, um, you know, go after it. But yeah, there were, there were moments of terror and insecurity. Definitely. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, I felt, absolutely on top of the world some days and some days I, I just was sure that they were going to fire me. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's a really that's a, it's a really good description of how most of the people that I talk to who have who have either gone from TV to Broadway or 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 in my case the reverse. Like I I kind of had mm. the same experience when I was on set for my first TV show. I was extremely out of my element, just feeling. And, and and I'm I'm not a quiet person at all, and uh, I, I I did the same thing. I'm sitting there listening to you, like I I know that feeling of being quiet, <laughs> and just observing and being um, in this place of you know I, I have just such a respect for so many people in this industry. I always have. I just kind of always feel like I'm this kid that's being a, a you know given a chance to to play and make some money. Um, I, and and just to be in that that level and and, and you know I, I just kind of projected myself into the room with like I imagine like you at the table read with like Glenn Close and all these yeah. people and just you know and then opening night and then and then the Tonys and all those fun things that uh, are are icing on the cake of the work that we get to do and it's just that's so awesome it's such a great story and what a what a broadway debut but like you said before that you did television mm-hmm. which um to a lot of theater people is super scary to go and do after uh being on stage you know kind of trying to figure that out but how did you get to LA like that's just to back up a little bit how did you get there first and not new york well i i was working um in um in in New York early on, just studying. I I actually I didn't really study acting until I got out of college. Okay. And I had moved to moved to L.A. I was in Vegas for a couple of years. That's a whole other story. <laughs> working and working. I was a lounge singer, and I worked for Wayne Newton for. A oh, oh wow. Um, oh oh yeah. I, I I when I said ugly, I wasn't kidding. Um, and, uh, or, that's that's really ugly, just, yeah. Just a very. Uh, very uh, curvy and mountainous path. Yeah. Um, but I went to L.A. after Vegas when I was in my early early twenties, uh, right after graduation from from college, and uh, put together a lounge band with the help of uh, some of the musicians that I knew that worked for Wayne Newton and um, worked lounges and got a TV movie. Uh, that was filmed in Vegas, kind of uh, got a uh, battlefield promotion. I think a guy that was like the sixth lead in the picture got in a car wreck right before they were supposed to start filming. And I just had like an under three lines or something like that. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the director, Don Taylor, who was, you know, played Elizabeth Taylor's husband and father of the bride, but later in his career had become a, become a director, uh, um, uh, a big uh, television director. Uh, said, uh, here, kid, he called me Monty because he thought, I reminded him, he said, of Montgomery Cliff. Uh. And he threw the script at me and he said, take a look at this and come back in about, uh, come back tomorrow and read for me. And um, I I think I was, you know, he, he had picked me out to be in the movie as kind of background with a couple of lines. And I think that same day when I was still around, uh, this, he had found out that this, you guy that was like six on the call sheet, we got quite a big part, uh, was unable to to film, uh, sadly. And so uh, I went back and read for him and I got the part. And then the acting bug, because I was working Las Vegas lounges, like, you know, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock and two o'clock shows six days a week. And oh, wow. Which is a pretty tough thing. And, oh yeah. And suddenly I was on this movie, and I had a, like a nice little honey wagon, and I'm, you know there was caterers, <laughs> and people brought me my clothes, and I was thinking, oh wow, You're like what's this? This? <laughs> this is this is the life, <laughs> you know. Instead of you know performing in front of drunks and you know people that were you know just sitting there waiting on 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 their significant others to quit gambling, so. Um, uh, at two o'clock in the morning. So I, you know, got an agent out of it and went to LA for a short time, but realized I didn't really know what I was doing and was kind of hurtling toward my Peter principle, um, with acting, you know, with technique. So uh, my agent at the time, um, uh, said, I, I suggest you move to New York and study at that point. He believed that some of the best, you know, folks to study with were still in New York and um, that I was, a, you know, kind of a live performer. That was my background. 
And so I went there and ended up staying there. And while there, auditioned for a sitcom with John Ritter, the spinoff of Three's a Crowd. I, yeah. I was at the Ford Theater doing a, doing a musical about the Civil War and um, got a call to come in uh, and uh, audition. At that point, they, uh, they put you on tape. They filmed you with a camera. You know, it was a big deal when they put you on tape and audition. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, not like today when you sit at your kitchen table. And, um, <laughs> uh, uh, it, and it must have been very expensive. And they sent the tape out and flew me out to L.A. and I got the job. And that was a, a sitcom. Uh, I did call through the crowd. I did. I did look that up and saw a little clip of you with your current, <laughs> your curly oh, hair yeah, yeah. and your like surfer dude kind of Spicoli look. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. uh, and I, you know, I just like, what a, what a whirlwind to, um, to be a part of that because, you know, three's company was such a huge, huge hit. And then to have the spinoff, which I think only lasted for a little bit, uh, yeah, right. about a year and a year and a half. Yeah, you know, half of one season and then a full season. But the great thing about that is it was a the opportunity to work with uh, John Ritter. Oh my God! Um, yeah, uh, the the opportunity to work with Dave Powers, who was the director who directed all the seasons of the Carol Burnett Show. Oh yes. So they were great. They were great sketch, comedic, physical comedic. They 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 really understood. And to be honest with you, for a uh, for somebody that was kind of a, had been a live performer and a, and a, uh, uh, thought of himself more as a stage performer. Cause I'd spent, I guess, I don't know, uh, a, a year or so in New York where I'd also been on the soap for a while. I got a soap job right. in another world in about 19, gosh, early eighties. So I, I'd done that. So, you know, a little bit of everything, but the sitcom seemed more almost like the theater because you'd really, you know, you'd, you'd rehearse just, the director and the script supervisor and the actors in a rehearsal hall, and then you block it for camera. And this was um, three camera video days, not film days. So, I mean, it, it had a real live feeling. Yeah. You did it in front of a live audience. Yeah. You did two shows, and then they'd cut together the best takes from those two shows uh, once a week. And then the next week, you'd start in the rehearsal hall rehearsing. And so it, it was a really good transition into television for uh, somebody who who was kind of came up as a live performer because yeah. it was a it felt like a kind of a hybrid, you know, of of theater and um, and film and plus the opportunity to work with John. I mean, I have so many great stories out of those years with him and and or that year and a half with him that that you know are are just formative for me just watching him and he was so big hearted and and such a sweet kind man and who really um um helped me yeah uh, quick quick story i remember i i mean i was this actor you know from new york and he said hey this was the time when i guess the network you know the networks present their shows and it was at the century plaza hotel big splashy kind of party with all the press and everything and he said, hey, um, meet me outside at like 7.30. And it was supposed to start at like 8 o'clock. He said, outside by the sidewalk in front of the Century Plaza Hotel. Meet me at 7.30. And I went, oh, okay. So <laughs> I, I got dressed up in the best you know, clothes I owned, um, uh, which wasn't much. And um, uh, I, 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 it happened so fast. I had like a mattress on the floor of a one-bedroom apartment that I'd rented and and um, he uh, met outside on the sidewalk, and then he said, we're going to go in together. Oh, my God. And we walked through the lobby with all the paparazzi, like literally arm in arm. And I think after the Suzanne Summers thing and all the other controversy that happened during that show, yeah. I was kind of the new male version of Suzanne Summers. That was kind of the way the press described it. But he basically took this kind of green theater kid and wrapped his arms around me and walked in. And because I walked in with John Ritter, it was like, this kid is with me. He's yeah. my choice. He's great. You're going to love him. And I mean, that's the kind of guy he was, uh, and, you know, he got a lot of pictures and a lot of newspaper coverage and everything. And for me, 
it was wonderful because it was just such a great introduction. And, you know, he wrapped his arms around me and just said, you know, this, you're going to love this guy, you know, to, to, that is an amazing story. I, he is one of my, I mean, I, one of my idols as a kid watching three's company, but, but just every story I hear about him, um, is one of generosity and love Mm -hmm. and just, just using his fame for exactly like you described to, to help, to help someone up and coming, you know, to, to, he didn't have to do that. I've seen so many people who they don't have to, you know, it's, and, and, and nobody would have thought anything of it, whether he did or not. But the fact that he did that is just, um, incredible. He he stopped by my little apartment in West Hollywood one time on his way home to his big place in Brentwood. And, um, he said, where are you living? And, And he said, I'll stop by and let's, let's have a beer. It was after rehearsal. And we like sat on the floor and have a beer. And he said, uh, uh, you don't have a lot of furniture. And I go, yeah, you know, I just, you know, I haven't had time and I just, you know, I was cheap. I was used to living hand to mouth. And yeah. Even though I was making some decent money uh, for the first time, uh, but we hadn't filmed a lot of shows, so I hadn't made much of it. Yeah. And, um, and um, uh, he said, cool. And, and I, I went into work the kind of the next day and one of the producers, Mickey Ross, of um, Nichols, Ross, and West, the guys that had written the Jeffersons. I mean, they were these yeah. amazing producers, all in the family. They were writers on All in the Family. He came up to me and he said, John tells me you don't have any furniture. And I go, <laughs> I go oh, geez. Oh, God. Yeah. He said, you know, we have a whole warehouse from cancel sitcoms, the Ropers, and other things. Go in there, pick out what you want, and we'll have it delivered. Oh my God, you're kidding me. And that's what they did. And I How? said, well, I want that couch and I want this. And they delivered it and never gave it back. That was it. It was mine. Oh and my God. Because, that was all because John Ritter came over to my house and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and had no place to sit. <laughs> it's like, get this kid some furniture from the Ropers set. That's think, amazing. I, Do you yeah, know what you picked I, out? Do you know what, what? Yeah. And you know what? My big sad thing, this is, this is only for like fans of three's company. There was a, um, what do they call it? A tr- not a trundle table. Um, just a, just a rectangular table that sat by the kind of round door with the telephone on it on all the years of three's, uh, company. Yeah. And I took that table it was <gasps> by the door and I took it, I didn't know, and it was from Three's Company. And I remember when I moved into a bigger place, it was kind of ratted because, you know, they'd moved it in and out of the studio so many times. It had like nicks and scrapes all over it. Yeah. That it is lost to history. Can you oh. imagine what that thing would have been for? <laughs> I know what table you're talking about, too. I just yeah, started like picturing the show. Oak. It's a simple oak. It was like, you know five feet wide and only about a foot deep and had just very simple, you know, uh, up on the side. I'm trying to think what they got, not a trundle table, but it's uh, like um, a console table kind of, right? Yeah. Like it was a console yeah. table. Yeah. Like an oak. It was yes. like an oak console table, very simple with the, with the big phone on it. Every time anybody answered the phone or whenever somebody came through that yes. door with the rounded top, there it was to the right <laughs> of the door. And um, I had that table in my house forever and I don't know what happened. I probably gave it to somebody or, and I just think, Oh wow. That would have been in a museum. That's amazing. Or uh, I wish I still would have had it. And I have no idea. Lost to history. Lost to history. Well, I, I could honestly, you said you have so many stories. I I love John Ritter so much. And in fact, my first time I ever tested for any um, pilot, uh, TV series here in LA. I actually was, I was at ABC testing for, um, uh, to play a lawyer on the show. It was like three of us girls, you know, waiting to go in, which is so nerve wracking anyway. And I was going up to the bathroom. Like I had to like, like I, you know, it was that, that feeling. And I was like, ugh, trying to breathe. And I'm going up the staircase and I see John Ritter walking down the staircase towards me. And I started to like, I felt my eyes started to well up. <laughs> Like, I don't know why I got so emotional just looking at him because I grew up watching Three's Company. Like, like for people who maybe have never seen Three's Company, because I don't know who the age that, that are listening to this podcast, but it was like the friends of, um, yeah. of, of the era. 
And it right. was, I mean, John Ritter was like everything. And and to me, anyone who's funny is just the sexiest thing ever. Like he was like one of my first crushes as a kid. So he's yeah. walking towards me and I walk, I, I walk towards him and I'm just staring at him and like, you know, my eyes are welled up and, and I said, hi, Mr. Ritter, I'm such a big fan. And he stopped. I have no idea where he was going. He seemed like he was on pace to go somewhere. He stopped, took off his glasses, looked at me and, you know, talked to me for like, it felt like 10 minutes. It probably was just a couple minutes, but he was one of those people who just took the time to, you know, I told him that I used to watch Three's Company, like, especially I would watch like, like, um, like a marathon of Three's Company when I was home sick from school. And I just, I, I, I loved his physical comedy and all of that stuff. But, um, yeah, he was just a, a, a lovely person and such a talent and what a way to debut or, or not debut, but what a way for you to really, you know, just to, 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 to be able to work with him for so long. Also a great, a great lesson that I learned from him. And this is, 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 is good for, for any actor is that he would risk and fail in rehearsal a lot with physical comedy and everything. I learned that as an actor, it, it you know, there are opportunities and, and you, you shouldn't always play it safe. Yeah. You think a guy like that, you always think, Oh, well, he never puts a foot wrong. I watched him go, you know, and, and Dave Powers, the director who did all those years of Carol Burnett, uh, you know, he'd do something and he'd say, hey, Davey, is that funny? And Dave sometimes would shake his head no, you know, <laughs> and he'd say, okay. okay. Or sometimes he'd be like, uh, yeah, keep working on it, go in that direction or something like that. But he would, I saw him and even on camera blocking day, he'd do things sometimes that just didn't work or, or they were slightly improv or something like that. But when you watch someone of his talent mm -hmm. work and you see they're, they're constantly kind of risking and they're, they're, they're willing to take chances and they're, they're willing to push the envelope so that by the time it came to the actual uh, day of filming, they'd been through a lot of different incarnations of their performance. And he was someone that really used rehearsal time effectively, not safely, but effectively. Yeah. And that stayed with me all my life about, you know, you, you don't want to be results oriented. Um, it, it, at any point in your process, because then that limits you. And um, sometimes, you know, the, the best part of performances uh, come out of mistakes and out of risks and out of, you know, can come out of suggestions from the people around you. It's just always good to be really open to trusting that, you know, there, there are times to fail and times to risk looking stupid in order to really end up with a performance that's, that's um, as good as you can be. That's so smart. That's such a great lesson. And I mean, such is life, right? We have to not be yeah. so result oriented right. and, and right. just, uh, and just take risks and all of that. I mean, like John Ritter did with you, I feel like, uh, you, you now are doing because you're teaching master classes, and I know you have this beautiful theater in Raleigh, um, North Carolina, and you have, uh, which I, I, I know with the climate now, everything feels so um, uncertain, I guess is the best way to say it. But uh, but I feel like, you know, what, like just listening to you, I, I, I know that you are now giving back, which is one of my favorite things to do is to teach, whether it's, um, you know, a, a group of kids that I'm able to be in the same room with or virtually um, how are you, how are you doing any teaching or your theater or your organization, which I don't know, it, the heart of Los well, Angeles youth theater that you have as oh, well? Well, that, to, to put things straight, the, the uh, Theater Raleigh, which I had taken over with my ex-wife, Lauren Kennedy Brady, yeah. um, I, I no longer am associated with. I, okay. I, I left after um, uh, a while uh, just because it was kind of her family legacy, the theater, 
And, um, uh, you know, we and we are incredibly amicable. We share this beautiful 16 year old girl and, and we're still real good friends. But it was difficult. I think uh, for me, I needed to go back to work, you know, running a theater as an executive director for five years. Um, I loved it. I, it was a it was a lot of fun, uh, but it was not um, feeding the performer side of me. Yeah. And, um, I got an opportunity to go back to New York to do uh, Mamma Mia uh, for for a while um, after uh, my separation and and during the time I was divorced and I I thought that was just something I needed to do for me yeah kind of get back and reconnect because I knew I probably wasn't going to stay with the theater trust me it's hard enough to run a a theater with your wife it's probably going to be impossible <laughs> to run one with your ex-wife so um yeah I, and I was practical we both were practical enough to understand that and I yeah said, you know what to be honest with you and trust me not for profit is just that not exactly Oh, I, we yeah. Were, we were running the theater, but it was it was not uh, really uh, ma- making a living for us per se. Although we were we loved paying the the talented people that work with us, but you know the the bosses were not. We were not able to uh, uh, monetize it very successfully for us, yeah. especially in those early years. And so I kind of wanted and needed to go back to work, and. Um, so I, I did that and I never have really gone back to being involved in the theater, although I'm still a supporter and involved in the theater community here in Raleigh. But um, I talked at the North Carolina Theater Conservatory, which is different of the big regional theater down here. I taught a year there, um, which I really enjoyed, but I, I am enamored of teachers, people that are really good at it. Yeah. I, I think because I didn't have a lot of formal training, I mean, I studied acting for many, many years from Milton Gutzellis at the Beverly Hills Theater, um, uh, but I didn't have a lot of formal training, uh, no formal training in university whatsoever. And so I always felt as a teacher, the only thing I could do is pass along, you know, things that I had learned by doing and instincts uh, that I had and, and, and um, some insight. And I love doing that. Yeah. But I never felt really um, qualified to uh, uh, teach a lot of text classes or teach the literature of the theater because I I hadn't learned it and had learned it subsequently. So most of what I've done uh, uh, as a teacher has just been as Alan Campbell teaching about my own experience. And the nice thing about having been in the business almost 40 years is that you realize finally, and it took me 35 of those years to now when I walk into a, a, a rehearsal for the first day, you actually, it's kind of like riding a bike now. I actually say, oh my God, I actually know what I'm doing. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> but it took literally years because I'd walk in and I'd, be, uh, I'd realize, oh my gosh, I'm like the oldest. <laughs> I've been in the business longer than anybody here. And yet I feel like it's like the first day of school and I uh, hope they like yeah. me. You know, and I hope they, I hope the producers are glad that they hired me. And, right. You, know, you go I, from being the baby, you go from being the baby to the, now, now, now you're like, okay, I've been in this, I've been in this game for a while. Yeah. And exactly. everybody's looking up to you and going, oh my gosh, I loved you. And so would you, you know, I have an old, an old poster. Can you sign it? And you go, oh my God, this is, this is awful because now I'm going to go in and I'm just going to have the worst rehearsal of my life. And they're going to, the emperor is going to be naked as a jaybird, you know. But there you go. It's That's a very stupid. common feeling when I, <laughs> I I got a chance to work with Harry Groner, who's also another just idol of mine. When I first moved to New York, and yeah. and it was the kind of the same the same feeling. He's like, you know, I'm I'm gushing over him, and he's like, I hope I don't mess up my table read because you know, totally. and and it's it's so funny because um, going back to the teaching part of it you and I have this in common as well. I do not have a formal BFA. I I went to a small conservatory, but just because I, you know, my parents said I can't just show up to New York with a suitcase and a dream. Um, But, you know, I, I feel like the unconventional or conventional ways of getting into this industry, however you do it, I feel like the doing and being, um, you know, those are the teachers that I would want. I think about my 18 year old self, 
Like, yes, I want the textbook side of it, but you can get that from a literal textbook. I can't get the experience of what does it feel like to star on Broadway? What does it feel like to be opposite John Ritter in a TV show? What does it feel like to be on a soap opera? Or, you know, those teachers, and I have such a huge respect for all teachers across all experience, but those of us who are who don't have the degrees or uh, the quote unquote paper that backs up whatever um, being a teacher means in the I don't know the literal sense, we have the experience that I think is just so so beneficial. I think that's why I mean I've noticed a lot of my friends from Kevin Covert to um, gosh, there's so many that have gone on and gone ahead and gotten MFAs after um, pretty substantial careers yeah, and then gone on to teach. A, a girl that I did Mamma Mia with is now teaching. Um, I, I know a handful of, of, of people, probably more than that, that in they're now at a point in their lives and careers where they um, uh, you know, want a little more dependable living and they are passing it on. Not only uh, they have both of those things. So they go back and they get MFA, which, which, um, I have no plans to do obviously, but, but, um, that's the best of both worlds because they can speak to both sides of those things. Yeah. And thank God who has had a career, you know, and, um, so anyway, that's kind of, uh, that, that it, it, it's kind of a neat thing that a lot of universities are recognizing mm-hmm. and hiring our fellows that have had uh, careers and struggled and found success and had a lot of experience uh, to run departments or be involved in teaching um, uh, that can give the kids, uh, um, you know, speak to both the textbook Richard Rollins a friend of mine who directed some down yeah. here at theater Raleigh for a while and um you know can give both sides of the equation which is fantastic I mean one of the things that I always like to to, to talk about is literally the practical side of just how to handle yourself personally in an industry that's very competitive and and you know how to be in the room yeah and um, that's that's so many times what is the scariest most confusing part uh, and and it, it's so important because every minute you spend on uh, spend on stage and even more so in television, uh, you spend 95 percent of the time off camera. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, how do you treat the people you work with? Uh, um, how can you be, you know, get the best performance you can, but also be kind of low maintenance? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how how to handle yourself, <laughs> how to how to basically be a good guy, you know, because yeah. those things, those things um, uh, w- they support long careers. You mm-hmm. know, I remember when I did contact, um, I, uh, Susan Stroman basically said, she said, uh, after they offered me the, 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 the job, she said, you know, I've checked up on you. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah. I checked up people that have worked with you. You're not going to put somebody. And at that point, I was going out on tour for a year before I came back to the show at Lincoln Center. Yeah. So I was touring with a lot of young dancers. And she said, you're the the top of the call sheet on this, or that's a TV term, but you're you're the, the leading man of this piece going out. And she said, I am not going to send somebody out that these younger dancers and people who are making a little bit of money for the first time and they're in their early twenties and they're out on the road. She said, uh, you, you know, have to be an example to them. And she said, trust me, I'm not going to give somebody that responsibility if I don't know they can handle it. And it was like, okay. It was like, wow. So it wasn't, Mama so Stro. It was just a, it, yeah, it, it wasn't just about my monologue and my, uh, and my, my bad dancing. It, it was more about, uh, you know, certain, uh, um, you know, qualities that she wanted for somebody uh, that was going to, you know, she was going to send out on the road in a yeah. leading position in her shows because she wanted, she said, they'll look to you. And if you let your standards down, they're going to let theirs down. 
So. Absolutely. And that's what I know. She gave me my first equity job at Madison Square Garden as a dancer for um, Christmas Carol. So I worked with her for three years, three Ooh. seasons on that. And Stro, you know, she's, she does, she looks up on or, or looks you up and makes sure, you know, but, but as does everybody, I feel like in this business, it is a small business. It is a business where your reputation, especially in the theater world, um, can be known, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. and this is, this is not just your talent, but I always say that if there is, um, a person who's just as talented, you know, if, you, if there's two people on the table and they're just as talented as, as the other, and one of them maybe has a, um, a reputation of not being able to work with them well, or whatever the case may be, but, um, that's where the cream of the crop comes up. And, you know, people like Stro, I know, um, you know, keep good people, uh, good people close to close to them as do most of the the you know incredible directors choreographers and and the like uh but that's that is really good advice yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> don't be an don't be an asshole <laughs> it's like, who is it there's some someone who says don't be a, don't be a dick that's basically what it is Absolutely. because it's so important it's so important and and you know and if you're going to be a dick you better be like the five most talented people on the planet because that is about the only way you're going to have any success in a long career it's... you better be Meryl Streep, who's not a dick, by <laughs> the way. Not at all. You better, not at all. But you better be that level of talent. Uh, or, and even then, you, know, we, you might not get hired. No, exactly, no. But I, exactly. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's a really, good, that's a really good lesson. <laughs> I mean, going and and what's what's what is um, on the forefront of everybody's mind nowadays is going forward. In, in our careers and in the careers of the young people coming up and, you know, how do we and what do we do going forward and who knows what's happening? I mean, we, in terms of the, the phases of everything opening back up, I, everything I've read is that live performances and, and um, all of the entertainment is phase, last phase, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you know, we said there's reinvention is always happening. There is some good that's going to come out of this, but what are your thoughts yeah. on all that? I don't know. Well, I, you know, live theater is live theater. And, and sadly, I mean, I think we're kind of, uh, I, I can't say anything that, that, um, you haven't read or heard or suspected. And I'm, I, I want to be as positive as I can. I, mm -hmm. I know that people, will come back together in theaters. I, I think there's going to, it's going to take a while. It could even be uh, next year. It could even be, you know, after we get through, I mean, Cameron McIntosh, I know had mentioned that in an article that I had read uh -huh. for, for large live theater. And my heart goes out. I have friends in Jagged Little Pill. I have friends in these shows, Moulin Rouge. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I know people in, shows that are legitimate hits and they're, oh my God, this is my dream. I'm working in a hit on Broadway. I have the opportunity in one case for a Tony nomination, mm -hmm. um, you know, and yet nothing. And it's heartbreaking. And yeah. I, I know even for Theater Raleigh with this theater that I used to be a part of here that, that um, my daughter still helps her mom out with, um, uh, it, it, they're, they're trying their best to fill this time with some inventive online programming, um, you know, from their living rooms and some performances. And I, I'm, you know, I'm amazed at, at how innovative uh, from that the Sondheim concert that was just thrilling. Yeah. Um, but but I, I don't have any uh, thoughts. Uh, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I know we're going to get it back. I have I have confidence that you know we're we're going to get a handle on this. That you know, like everything else, it's not as good as some people say it's going to be, and it's certainly not as bad as as people think. It's going to be somewhere in the middle, but even somewhere in the middle for a, um, a you know shared experience, large gatherings that are required uh, to enjoy live theater at its best. Um, like you said, it's a last phase thing and, and, and my heart breaks, 
Um, it's going to be hard and it's going to cost us dearly. And I, I feel for people that are early in their careers or in the middle. I mean, I'm a, I'm an old dog. I got <laughs> one play in, you know, in the holidays, right before everything went crazy. And, um, I have no idea when I'll work again. I don't yeah. think any of us do. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful that I have a roof over my head and, you know, um, I can watch and support my friends and talk to people like you and reminisce about, about, uh, these great times that, that we've shared. But, um, yeah, I have real heartache about, about where we are, but this too shall pass. You know, I, I have a 94 year old father that I talk to every day in an assisted care facility, who's a world war two vet. And I told my daughter who, you know, lost her spring dance concert and, you know, a trip to New York to see theater with her dance company. And she's, you know, in her world, oh, my gosh, my my world has fallen apart. I can't see my friends. I yeah. Can't. And I said, look, think about what your dad went through from the Great Depression to World War Two, 52 flight missions in World War Two. I mean, it might not make you feel better, but, you know, we've had these these challenges before in the lives of our parents and, and in my life, even at, at, at times, um, uh, and nine 11 as, as a city, if you were in New York city, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've had these setbacks that were uh, challenges and we've always managed to come back and, and I'm just hopeful that, uh, we'll get it back and it'll, it'll, it's, but it's historic. There's no doubt about it. And, and it's kind of the perfect storm for those of us in live theater. Yeah. Um, and I, I do worry about it. You know, I, I don't want to run out of TV series to watch either. I know there's not a lot of <laughs> filming. I, I audition for things that film here in the Southeast quite a bit. And, and um, I got a little part in a movie uh, not too long under the wire uh, in a little independent film. And yeah. I, I don't know that there's any filming going on much anywhere. Um, yeah, I don't know how that's going to that's going to return, but I agree with you. I think um you know, it we will come out of it. It will be different. My heart also goes out to everybody who you know, I, I think about the Tony Awards are going to or we're going to be next month and I think about like, you know, you as Joe Gillis in Sunset Boulevard imagine it, if it happened at that time. Or, yeah. or if it happened, uh, when I was playing Peggy Sawyer and I was, you know, living my dream, yeah. like how, how, um, it seems trivial when you compare it to maybe your father's <laughs> world yeah. war two, you know, it feels, yeah. but, but in, in, in artists world, this is, um, you know, you're, you, this is the top of the mountain and it is hard to get there. It is. And, and, and the stories are, are the same with, you know, uh, any, any walk of life, there's, um, for me, I feel like there's this collective feeling of it's all happening to us. And so then it unifies us in a strange way. Um, but we also will come out of it and staying positive like you are is so important. Uh, staying positive for your daughter and, and I staying, I'm staying positive for my kids. Um, although they don't have the same understanding uh, of it as, as, as Riley being 16, but we will, we'll come out of this and it's, you know, we're, we will need entertainment even more. <laughs> I feel speaking to the world war two era when everybody was, you know, the USO shows and things like that, when we were needing that, um, I think we will need that even more, uh, but yes, um, we will we will come out of it. We will come out of it stronger. And as, and as a community, I mean, the thing that I always loved so much about working in the theater is I always felt, and I never felt it um, uh, uh, to to a great degree uh, when I was in LA working in television. It was an individual family and a show, but I never felt a belonging to a larger. Um, uh, section yes. of, of entertainment like I did um, uh, those years in New York and, and, and whenever I've worked on Broadway and, and coming back uh, so many years later and, and to Mamma Mia, um, I don't 20 something years after my Broadway debut, yeah. coming back, I felt that same thing. And I, I think just supporting each other and I see it so much with people zooming. I have a zoom call tomorrow night with my cast from hello again. 
Oh, wow. It was an off-Broadway off show, but it's, yeah. you know, Elizabeth Stanley. Elizabeth Stanley, Max I was going to say, Matt, say hi Rachel to Max. Bay, yeah. yeah, Rachel Bay Jones and Bob uh. Stillman. I mean, it was an incredible Nika uh, Lanzaroni. It was an incredible um, a cast. So and, talented. Um, and we're going to have a Zoom call because there was a, a reference in the show to the 12th of May. So Alexandra <laughs> Silber, who yeah. was in the show... She said, hey, let's have a Zoom call, all of us, on the 12th of May. And we've stayed all pretty friendly, and we have a text chain that um, is impossibly long that um, <laughs> we're, we blow up each other's phones about once a month whenever something <laughs> happens to somebody or somebody gets a job. And um, so we're going to have a Zoom call, and, and that's the way we can stay connected and support each other because, yeah. you know, in the case of Elizabeth Stanley, I mean, she's the lead and gotten Drama Desk Awards for Jagged Little Pill, and she shut down. I'm yeah. sure she's she'll probably get a Tony nomination and who who knows, you know, and it's got to be just heartbreaking to to have this show that's really making a mark and a performance that's making a mark and then suddenly just be dead in the water. Yeah. But, um, but that's... you know, we have to love and support each other. And, and we're 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 having a shared experience. And and um, uh, just like the joy of having a shared experience when you're in a show doing doing good work together and supporting and loving each other. We have to do it in the downtimes as well. And I think the community is really rising to those challenges. So Absolutely. it's really heartening to see that. You know? Yes, I agree. And you're so right. The, the, the theater community is unlike any really that, that I've ever experienced in the entertainment industry. And I'm just so, so thankful to be a part of it and to see everybody collectively supporting each other and, yeah. And and Zoom connecting <laughs> as yeah, we all yeah. as we all are. Well, yeah. this was this was awesome, Alan. Thank you so much for taking the Thank time. It's Thank just so great to to touch base with you after all these years. <laughs> it's been so long. Well, hopefully, you can maybe you can check check out as 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 lovely as you are. I I hope maybe you can uh, bring in a video component as you continue this. Uh, cast and really, really do a, a, a video version of this, because I would love to watch you uh, interact <laughs> with uh, our fellows. Um, <laughs> I think it would be, I think it would be a lot of fun. You're, you're very, very, very uh, good at this. And, Thank and, you uh, so I much. Some, and I wish you much success. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. And it was just really good to talk. And, um, and yeah, this is awesome. Okay, Mary. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye. To support this podcast or make a donation, visit anchor.fm slash confessions of an actress. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at confessions of an actress. And the best way to support this podcast is to share it on your social media platforms. So like it, share it, and go to iTunes and give us a rave review. I really appreciate it. And remember, especially now, more than ever, have vision for what you want, but be grateful for where you are every single day. Sending you love, and thank you so much for listening.